Welcome to the Ride With Us podcast, presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the world's largest ride enthusiast organization dedicated to the appreciation, promotion, and preservation of roller coasters around the globe. So please keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times as we welcome your hosts, Jessica Gardner and John Davidson. Hello, coaster fans. This year, Ace turns 45, and we've been celebrating our history all year long. That celebration continues as today we will hear from some of the members who were here in the beginning of ACE and learn how the early internet became a virtual meeting place for coaster enthusiasts. If you were a fan of coasters in the pre-World Wide Web days, outside of a few published books, there weren't a lot of resources out there for you. Acers might remember the Parks and Coasters directory It was a book called Roller Coaster Fever, and it was critical resource for photos and information about the parks, but it was an exception and not the rule. In some way, Ace and the internet grew up together. While Acers were finding each other in theme parks, coaster enthusiasts were finding each other through dial-up message boards and bulletin board systems. Today, in honor of celebrating our history, you'll hear from three pioneers who started a roller coaster and amusement park discussion board back in August of 1986. Bill Buckley, Randall Bird, and Dave Oloff. Bill, welcome. Tell us about yourself. So I'm William Buckley. I've been an ACE member since 1988, just like Randall. I found out about ACE from another ACE member in an online forum of all places. So uh, very forward thinking, if you will. Currently, I work as a procurement specialist for Irvine Andre Engineering. So I'm working in the amusement industry, but I've been working in information technology now for 45 years. And I was just lucky enough that I happened to have the number two computer corporation in my hometown as a kid. And I figured, well, why work at McDonald's when I can make $8 an hour doing computer stuff? And that's just kind of how that worked out. But it worked well because it provided me with the technical resources kind of really see my passion for amusement parks through my home park. I tell people is Knobles. It's six hours away, but um, yeah, it's definitely in my heart, my home park. And my last trip, I spent um, three weeks in France last month, just kind of like going all over the country and credit touring and all that fun stuff. (laughs) Any particular park standout? Niglo land was really exceptional. Absolutely beautiful. Um, La Pau, which is kind of like a zoo amusement park, was really fun. The world's longest mountain coaster in Andorra was really thrilling. That you sounds know, cool. 20-minute ride. Wow, 20 minutes. That's, yeah. That really is the longest. 1,500 feet of descent was crazy. All right, and how about you, Rendell? Uh, my name is Rendell Bird. Uh, I've worked at a university now for 36 years. What's for- your home park? I guess in my heart, my home park is Six Flags Over Georgia because I used to live in, in central Alabama and we would just run to Six Flags Over Georgia like it was no big deal. And now there's there's no parks really that close to me. The first park I remember going to is Miracle Strip Amusement Park in Panama City Beach, which is one of those great old seaside parks that like didn't even open until six or seven o'clock at night. You know, you had all day to roast on the beach. And then once the sun started to go down, the park would open and the people would come across the street and, and start, you know, 
eating the churros and, and riding the rides and stuff. What's your favorite last trip? In January, I went to Australia and New Zealand. And then last month, I went to Denmark, Sweden, and Poland. Wow, we got some some definite world travelers here. All right. Sorry, Dave. They uh, raised the bar pretty high on you. Oh, boy. Hey, Leon, I haven't had any interesting trips like that. Uh, I'm Dave Altoff. I joined ACE in 1991, mostly as part of a sort of an informal study of uh, roller coasters and amusement parks that probably dates back to when I started looking at stuff in the uh, in my local library in about 87 about when uh, the Cartmel book came out and uh, studied that thing cover to cover very shortly after that because I've had family members and myself affiliated with universities for many many years um, I gained access to the internet as it stood in 1991 and very quickly found my way over to Rec. Roller Coaster. Um, spent quite a bit of time there and then ultimately got my own internet access and my own, uh, my own way to get on there and to participate in the group. And then, um, professionally spent most of my time as a, uh, as the audio video specialist for university. And, uh, now I'm working for, and I'm doing internet repair for a major ISP very much into the technology for forever. All right. I think that'll be Sorry, yeah, I'm forgot. in Columbus, Ohio, so I am I'm located almost equidistant from Kings Island and Cedar Point. Um, my preference has always been for Cedar Point because my parents always dragged me up there once or twice a year from the time I was an infant. Um, and then just a couple of days ago, my parents who've moved out to the West Coast were back in town. And so I took them up to Cedar Point just a couple of days ago. So <laughs> tides have turned. Yeah, now you're dragging them up there. So, Bill, when did you uh, meet Randall? I think I met Randall in 1991. I had started an informational news group, if you want to, or Facebook group. But this was back in August of 1986. So I was um, on this private network, worldwide private network. And um, they had really developed some tools that we take for granted today, like text messaging, for example, or, you know, like Facebook groups. So they developed, the company I was working for developed this back in 1981. So, you know, by the time 86 rolled around, I thought to myself, you know, I love this hobby about amusement parks and roller coasters, and I really want to learn more. And the way I thought to achieve that was to develop this um, networking group. So that really started to snowball. It's actually how I found out about ACE in 1988 was from an, an existing ACE member um, was on my group. So very useful. But, you know, again, this was a private worldwide network for the company I worked for. And I thought this needs to be bigger. More people need to be involved in this. So that's when I got the idea of, you know, this concept, if you will, should be ported over to Usenet. That's where Brendel and myself kind of met at that time. So Rendell, thinking back, when, uh, or I was just say, what did you find when you started to explore that uh, Usenet? Well, I, I started working at the university where I worked in 1988. And um, seems like that's about the same year I discovered ACE. It was an article in the newspaper that mentioned some roller coaster was opening and it had an address and it was like, oh, 
you know, finally I have a way to contact these people. It's not like today where everybody has, you know, a, a computer in their pocket that can download, you know, a lot of junk, but useful information too, if you if you know what you're doing. You know, back then you imagine these things probably existed, but you had no way to contact them. You had no way to open the front door. Uh, but I finally got a, a newspaper article in, I think, in 88 and joined ACE and then uh, was working for the university. And then there was all kinds of just, uh, you know, Usenet. There was network news and there was all kinds of little groups for different hobbies. And I wanted, you know, I looked out there and I couldn't find anything amusement park related, anything roller coaster related. And so I uh, started, whatever, banging the drum to get something created on Usenet that was roller coaster related. And that would be uh, January 11th of 1991. So what were you guys sharing in the beginning? Uh, Were you you up to uh, pictures and stuff like that? Or is it just information at this point? For my group on... uh... Digital Equipment Corporation's private network, it was all ASCII-based, so text-based. So there were no photos, but it was a wealth of information. I mean, I had developed my own roller coaster census back at that time. Um, I had, you know, a worldwide list of parks, started talking about ride manufacturers, started talking about different kinds of rides, and really travel tips. You know, people started traveling to these places or even going to ACE events back at that time. And uh, how do you do that? How do you go to an ACE event like every month kind of thing? So that's kind of where my group was kind of centered around. And that's a big difference because today, most of the folks who are used to the internet, it's very, very picture oriented, very video oriented. And uh, so saying that you only had text-based stuff is, is, is kind of crazy. So Dave, where did you come into all this mix? Well, along about 1991, um, <laughs> my, my mother was actually working for the Ohio State University Press. And as a university employee, gained access to their computer system. She got an email address and access to um, the internet resources that they had available. So one day I sat down at her desk and um, found out that, um, that Usenet existed and it wasn't long before I found Rec.RollerCoaster, Buck and Rendell's group there. So I joined in. And at the time, this is 91. I'm 21 years old. I'm in a senior in college, basically, and um, trying to find out anything I can about this new obsession of mine. I think I had just joined ACE at the time. So it, it became a really good place to... Uh, to find out whatever was going on. And it's like, I've never seen anything like this before. Now I'd done some, uh, some BBSing in high school, but never, but nothing quite like this because this was all based on one subject and one subject that everybody was, everybody in the group was interested in. And it, suddenly, Hey, this is something completely new. What I didn't know at the time was that it was also the only thing out there really. I mean, Shortly thereafter, we had a couple of websites pop up, but it was all static. So there's only one place where any discussion was going on. And really, that's the thing that I think we've lost now, because there's a lot of discussion going on, but none of it's integrated. And 
I don't know how many Facebook groups I've been added to over the years, but now if there's an announcement, I hear about it a dozen times from a dozen different groups because <laughs> there's no coordination anymore. So. That's a very important point because what Rec Roller Coaster was in its genesis was it was a system of record, one-stop shopping. Um, so the information there that was presented was consolidated. It was very helpful. Do you mind me asking who owned the safe source of that? Because I know just from talking to different people at ACE events, there's even just uh, discrepancies on what some people consider a coaster or not. And it sounds to me like there's a lot of discussion going on. I can only imagine that uh, there's going to be conflict. How do you set rules and guidelines? Like, for example, what, like what a roller coaster is. That, that was just part of the discussion. You argue about it. Yeah. Moderation terms weren't really a thing back in those early days. So, yeah, it was the wild, wild west. And, you know, opinions were out there for all to see. Do you think people were much more courteous about uh, their their discussions um, when they had those conversations? That group certainly was. Wreck Roller Coaster of, of all the news groups that I've been in was probably collectively the best behaved. And part of that, I think, is because a lot of us knew each other in person or, well, we got to know each other through that group. Um, and there was always a chance you're going to run into somebody in a park somewhere. On top of that, it's a community about having fun. So that's what everybody's there to do. And what happens then is that when somebody decides to be a twit about it, the um, community basically does a collective beatdown, and uh, and the problem fixes itself or goes away. That sounds, it really sounds, was sounds the wild, wild west of the internet. <laughs> so what's next? Uh, so you just is do you start meeting and organizing uh, get-togethers um, through through the Usenet or? I think first and foremost, it was really the goal was information sharing. I mean, at least from my perspective, like so I had had up until that point, like five years of building kind of like this knowledge base. And I really wanted to put that over, as I had said, to a larger audience. And I think, you know, other people who came into the fray had kind of like similar goals. So. You know, it was talking about roller coaster clubs. It was talking about what are the best parks in the country? Um, what are the hot events that everyone needs to go to, you know, things like Coaster Mania or Fall Fun Fest or something like that. Um, but yeah, as Dave had noted, like through time, these online pers uh, relationships really morphed into personal relationships. It was really quite a interesting dynamic. Do you guys have any personal stories you want to share about that? Uh, one story I have is my boss, Anna Bryant at IOE, they actually met on Rec Roller Coaster. Oh, I did not yeah. realize that. Yes. Small world. Well, one thing that was interesting is that, I mean, generally speaking, Rec Roller Coaster didn't organize events because we're all members of ACE or we're all members of other, other clubs. And we're talking about attending the events that are already out there. This wasn't like it is now where every website is trying to build its own little clubs so that they're all having their own events and stuff like that. Because... Right there's no incentive on Usenet to be hunting for clicks or whatever. It's, it's not that kind of a structure. Um, it's a, it's a decentralized discussion group. And as a result, I mean, nobody really owns it. There's not any benefit to having a larger or smaller community apart from what that does to the community. That said, there were times that we got together. Um, one time that I can remember was a, uh, 
a night before Coaster Mania that a bunch of us got together at the uh, TGI Fridays up by Cedar Point, up in what is now, um, that's Castaway Bay up there now. It was the Radisson at the time. What was interesting is you got all these record roller coaster people sitting around the table having dinner or whatever, and there were probably 20 people around the table and there were probably 15 conversations going on. The interesting thing about it is that everybody was participating in most of the conversations. So it was very much like the structure of the threaded news group that we're all coming from, that you jump from one conversation to another and try to track all of them at once. It was very interesting and it worked. That leads me into an, another question because uh, there's a lot of people that aren't familiar with Usenet in general or 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 any of those type of tools. So uh, can you share just a little bit about like some, maybe some of your favorite topics that you would follow or some of those conversation threads? Well, the beauty of it is that it's all been archived on Google and uh, is searchable. So that's one thing. <laughs> well, there's, there's that. So all of your conversations are forever stored yeah. away. I think the longest thread historically is still millennium is spelled with two N's. <laughs> one thing which i find interesting was you really have to dial back and think that the lack of resources that were available to people i mean back in the day you know sure you had printed publications like ace news or roller coaster magazine but the rec roller coaster news group really started to be kind of like the go-to place for rumors um new projects that parks were doing so it really kind of became like um the go-to place to find out what was happening I get the feeling that when this first started, it was a much smaller organization or sorry, not organization, <laughs> much smaller group. And it grew bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more people and uh, introduced their friends to it. So I'm just trying to figure in my head, you know, how it first started and then how the steps that it kind of got bigger or migrated into something more. Uh, I don't have a good guess how many people at, at, the, at its height. But I mean, my part in all this is, is kind of is after Bucks, because uh, I proposed to create a news group about roller coasters and then found out he, at almost the same time he had proposed a group. But I don't remember what your group was called. Yeah, so I chose the name. My, my group at deck was called Roller Coaster, but it didn't have the hyphen in it. It was like one word, like the magazine. And um, they must have been similar enough that what they did was they actually merged our RFPs to use group together. Rendell had beat me by, I think, maybe like seven or eight weeks in the process. So he's the guy. He's They went with his. And as I remember it, there was somebody else in the world that wanted to create one, uh, a news group for amusement parks. And, and so it was like me and him, whether it was going to be called Rec roller dash coaster or whether it was going to be called rec dot amusement dot parks but then he ran afoul of some other people who wanted to create groups for uh national parks so then it, they wanted him to create rec dot parks dot national and rec dot parks dot amusement and i was like no one's going to find that <laughs> You know, even with a good search engine, this is long before Google. This is when you had to know the exact commands to type to read these things, to see these things. 
And that's kind of an important point because what it underscores is the community who were part of this um, news group really were kind of tech savvy people. This was not the nice plug and play graphic user interface that like was maybe presented through America Online circa like 1995. I mean, you really had to have kind of like that techie background to be able to search things, find things, or like, as Randall said, even communicate to others. So when somebody first found it or first joined for the, for the first time, so can you even like kind of try to explain or the organizational structure? Because I, I think a lot of folks can't even begin to understand what you're talking about. Like once you find Rec. Roller Coaster, then is it just a whole bunch of uh, categories of conversations and then you just pick the ones you want to join? It's just people chatting and you read some of the chat and you, you know, uh, you either jump in or you don't. So if you, if you are interested in what they're chatting about, you just start chiming in and then you're, then you get the notifications when it replicates the next time somebody adds to that chat. And that's how you, you start to follow those conversations. Yeah. This, this was all, at least on my end, it was all uh, command line in, in Unix. When you went to the group, say like it was a brand new user who coming in for the first time, we had a pinned post that was titled Roller Coaster Glossary. And it was a very, um, it was a living document. It was moderated and managed by a certain person. So it wasn't open to everyone. And what this glossary document did was first present what the charter of the group was, what were the goals here and what did this um, group aim to do? And then it went on to kind of consolidate some helpful and common information such as all of the club names that were out there, um, the different ride manufacturers. And we even started some roller coaster terminology in there. So a lot of the common abbreviations that are even used today, you know, like SFGAD or something like that, um, that all kind of bore out of this like glossary document. And again, it was a living document. So people would add to it all the time. Yeah. That's kind of how Pete knew people coming in kind of got a clue as to what to expect and how things were going to operate. So I'm trying to get somebody who's used to Facebook trying <laughs> to understand it, it. It's not like it's a mess, but they've got to, how do you paint a picture for somebody that has never seen Usenet before? How do you get your mind around something that nobody owns, that is decentralized, nobody controls it, and it makes use of a variety of servers that are popping up and dropping off all the time? It's not an easy concept. When you go to Rec Roller Coaster, the way you do it is you use a newsreader, and the newsreader you tell it what server you want to get your information from, and that server collects information from other servers in the network. And when you post something to the group, it's distributed from your server to other servers in the network so that there are copies of everything floating around on these various servers. And the reasoning behind that is so that you have some redundancy in storage and in uh, distribution. It may take some time for a message to get around to all the places it needs to go, but it'll get there eventually. Everybody's got that is all the uh, all the site admins have copies of this of this group and they store the messages for a certain amount of time. So for Google, that seems to storm forever. It's a structure that we don't even think about anymore because now you have a an information provider like Facebook or or even a website like like one of the 
Ghost to Buzz, Point Buzz site, something like that, where you have someone who controls all that and you have someone who hosts all that information. In this case, you've got a whole bunch of servers around the world, each one hosting all of it or bits and pieces of it. And it all gets aggregated in your news reader so that you get to see what's going on and contribute to the conversation. It's an odd structure, but it kind of works. Yeah, that was a great overview. I just opened up my newsreader when we got started here, where I've been reading news for a long time. And it I went to Rick Roller Coaster and it said, the group doesn't exist on this server. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, they can't be gone. So I went over to groups.google.com and there was a post this morning about the, uh, about the ride closing at uh, Great Escape. So to kind of... Uh- Add on to what Dave was saying. So when you had a newsreader, it presented the information in kind of like a listserv um, presentation. So it was just a long list of discussion topics. There was no search function. Um, You spent a lot of time scrolling through this to see what looked interesting. And then when you found a topic that, oh, this might be, you know, maybe people are talking about the Blue Streak Bash at Conair Lake Park or something like that. You know, you'd have to go in and then read every single response in this discussion thread kind of like a giant time suck but in the end it all worked yeah. out <laughs> so once you started interacting with one of those then does it show the ones that uh, you have been watching or reading it depends on the newsreader i'd like to hear i don't know who's the best to talk about this but I, i'd like to hear as we started introducing pictures and video as far as i'm concerned that that had to wait till the world wide web was invented when they took, uh, gosh, I don't remember what it was called, text formatting. Instead of text formatting for a page on a paper, it was text formatting for the screen. And then you could start embedding pictures. And then after pictures came video because uh, Usenet was just, you know, was pure text. We didn't have any of that. (laughs) Yeah. So at some point, Usenet, Clearly, as somebody else was hosting the files, but then in Usenet, they would start pointing to files. So what technologies were you guys using or did you guys yourselves use any to like for file servers, et cetera, to start hosting some of these images and stuff? Well, there was the Rowan FTP site. There was a public directory um, at uh, Rowan College. And uh, one of the group members had was a system administrator there and was able to allocate some disk space to here, dump your coaster pictures here. And um, so you could store, you could upload files there. Of course, we're not talking about terribly large files for the most part, because how long does it take to download a 640 by 480 VGA size 16 bit image at uh, 2400 baud? <laughs> Right. I mean, that's some great context. I mean, you have to remember that, you know, in 1995, the hot interface was a 14.4 modem, which at the time was like, oh, my God, this is so fast. But nowadays it would be like, oh, my God, that is painfully slow. (laughs) Right. That's slower than text messaging. Right. Yeah. That's what 100. Well, it's uh, 14K per second or something like that. Or um, by comparison, I work for a major ISP and the slowest speed that we offer retail is 300 megabits per second downloads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine needing to move that much data back then. 
so early on, like when, when I was in high school, I remember we would use our dial modem. We'd connect to a local bulletin board and, uh, in a similar stance uh, to, to paint a picture for what Dave is trying to say. You would click on a picture of a coaster and you would see it start to fill in and it would take, I'm not joking, sometimes like a minute or two for, and, you know, depending on how that, you know, depending on how they stored the, the image, sometimes it would start to slowly form. So you could start to see the lift hill and you could start to see the coaster. Then you could start to identify people. Then you could start to see, you know, characteristics about the coaster because um, it was interlaced in. So it's just, it's so it's like so mind boggling to me that, that you guys were at the cutting edge of, of this stuff that you're sharing images and you're sharing links to pictures. And if, if I come full circle to what you just said, Dave, you had somebody who's an admin got a computer at one of the local groups to open up an FTP server, which for those of you don't know, that's a file transfer. And then on your list, on your Usenet servers, you're providing links to and sharing with your friends to point to that picture. So, and then you're saying, oh, and if you have pictures of your coaster, you should upload it. And then they're going through that same process. It may take longer than two to three minutes, maybe like five minutes to upload the picture. And, and that's the way it was back then when, when I was in high school. So I, I just think that it's just so different back then than it was now. So how do you think people were getting these pictures to upload to the, to the file server? Because at that point, cameras were all 35 millimeter, right? Mm -hmm. It was a very arduous process. You mm -hmm. know, you'd have to take it on your film camera and then have it developed at like Photomart or whatever. Um, then you'd have to scan the photos into digital form. Um, but your options were pretty limited. Like, for example, most photo sizes, like I'd had all sorts of stuff on my hard drive at home, but too large, you know, for email to be an effective communication. Like I couldn't email pictures to friends, right? It just wasn't working. So really the FTP option that Dave mentioned was really kind of the only game in town back in the day. And remember, we're not talking about like with the World Wide Web, where you go to the site and you see a list and you click on the on the, or you even click on a thumbnail and a picture comes up. No, this is a file transfer protocol and it knows nothing about unpacking the pictures. You uh, go to the site and there's a list there and you enter a command to download the file that puts the file on your computer. Now you got to find something to look at it with. <laughs> right. Yeah. A viewer. You gotta have some kind of a viewer that will open that up because you're, you're right. I completely skipped over that step. <laughs> yeah and and you don't know what you're getting until you actually open the file and it can take a while it was really like i think 94 95 before we had like the first real viable web browsers kind of popping up like the mm. the old horrible netscape or you know even Mosaic. Some of <laughs> <laughs> one of the very first websites that I ever saw, and I actually saw it using using a Lynx browser, so I didn't have any pictures or anything until I finally was able to see it in Mosaic, um, was actually a roller coaster site. And it was um, Darlene's coaster page. And she was trying to put together a, an experimental website to see what, what she could do with Mosaic. And so she's a roller coaster site. 
All right. So we, we, we kind of jumped through time rather to rather quickly there at the end. So if we were, if, is there any milestones or things that you thought about through anywhere in that sequence where there was, you know, some new technology or some new uh, way that people are using the site? I guess from my perspective, I think one of the benefits of the site was that again, getting back to that concept of a system of record, um, through people's adventures, you really kind of knew what was great, what was not so great, um, what were the must-dos, what were the things that you could probably skip. I mean, again, you had printed publications that were being disseminated through the roller coaster clubs and organizations. But, you know, those were maybe quarterly organizations or, you know, it wasn't instantaneous. So, you know, the, the beauty about the news group was, yeah, you could log on every day and just kind of like keep very current with what was happening in the now. I mean, something that today in today's world we take completely for granted but back then it was um something special i think and there are certain parks that on any given day of the operating season there was somebody in the park from wreck roller coaster maybe somebody who participated in wreck roller coasters probably in that park every single day which meant that if anything happened we found out about it right away yeah and that and this is before the internet I mean, before the internet was in people's pockets. So, so um, just to kind of follow up on that and just kind of, and also uh, kind of walk through that since no, nobody had computers in their pocket or phones. So where did you guys all have your c- computers to, to uh, get on the Usenet? To me, it was at work. I come from a tech oriented family. So I've had a terminal in my house since 1977. That's impressive. Was it yeah. a, Commodore, a Commodore? No, uh, I worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, so it was a VT100 mm-hmm. ASCII terminal. And I would, uh, you know, 300 baud dial up into the mainframe and uh, go from there. What about you, Dave? I had a computer at home. And then eventually it got to the point where I had my own identity and my own account. And uh, the Greater Columbus Freenet started up and I was able to get on there. Um, initially, it was a salvaged modem that I found and hooked up to a, uh, an old computer that we had salvaged. And then um, later I got my own machine and we put a modem in that one. They actually had a modem in it. Once I, once I moved to where I am now, um, that was 25 years ago. Well, through most of the heyday of that, I was using a, an Apple IIGS with, a, uh, with a, just a basic terminal program on it. And what I was doing is logging into the Greater Columbus Freenet, which is a with a terminal-based site, and then I could um, see what was going on there, send email and and read Usenet that th- that kind of thing, because it was not a uh, it wasn't a graphic service. It, they eventually went to a client server system. They went to something more like a regular ISP, and at that point, I ended up now with a uh, with my first Macintosh. And since that's a Unix-based system, just like everything else, I just installed RTIN on it, which is a, a Unix newsreader. So I ended up using, for years, even today, the same newsreader that I'd been using from the very beginning. That's pretty amazing, actually. So stepping back just a little bit in your story, when you said you were you're jumping local, so you, when you first started calling um, using the modem, you're calling a local phone number. Right. Right. So that, so just picture this for everybody that we're talking like a computer, you know, that has a bank of telephone lines and there's sometimes you would call and 
the lines would be busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get, you couldn't get on. Absolutely. So, so, has anybody got any good stories about that? Because I think yeah. we completely skipped over that whole section. Yeah, of we course. Talking about after a while, um, some of these services say, Hey, no, you're not going to monopolize that line. So after so many, um, after so many minutes or whatever, they just hang up on you. They're gone. Out That's of here. true. So again, somebody else, <laughs> you know, my company had developed what we now know as instant messaging back in 1981. So I had friends all around the world and I would, I am with them, you know, from Australia or whatever. And I'd be in these phone, you know, these computer conversations with them at night. And then as Dave would say, they disconnect your phone line, like right in the middle of your chat and you'd be trying to get back on and like not happening. That's actually one of the advantages to the old style where you, where you're actually logged into a terminal because they could pop up a message that says your session will end in 10 minutes or whatever. Um, and then keep popping up messages like that. When they switched over to the uh, slip protocols, then uh, where where basically you just have an internet connection like you do now, but you're doing it through a dial-up. Those connections, you hit your uh, you hit your time limit and just dropped. <laughs> yep. All right. So you've walked us through where you started, seeing all these technology changes around you, going from dialing up and reusing the phone that you have, which is a rotary phone, by the way, <laughs> and then taking it all the way to where you're, you know, connecting through the internet. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's just kind of fun to think back about how it used to take minutes and if not hours to do some of the things that today we just have in our pockets and it's kind of crazy. So thank you for walking us through the journey um, of the last 35 years. Well, before we conclude the episode and follow along on some of the timelines, Bill Buckley reached out after the podcast and he added a little bit of context and gave me some dates that I think help. In 1991, Ace produced Guide to Ride, and it was a guide to all the roller coasters in North America. This was groundbreaking because it was the first time Ace members could see actual physical photos, and read the stats on the coasters across America. Ten years later, almost, this was the early 2000s, you saw message boards start to be a little more user-friendly and maybe pivoting to what we would consider to be the online discussion boards of today. Wasn't till two to five years later when we started to have the introduction of the smartphone or the cell phones that would allow us today to have the tools in our pocket to document the passion with photos and videos. So hopefully that was a fun walk down memory lane and a little taste of what the frustration they were going through to create this bulletin board. And I know I call it a bulletin board, but if you'd like to see it for yourself, Google does provide access to rec.rollercoaster.com. So if you go to groups.google.com or follow the link in the show notes, rec.rollercoaster and it's roller-coaster, and you can see the board yourself. Did you enjoy hearing how this panel started the first Coaster Bolton board? Did you like how they introduced others to Ace? Did it give you an idea for a future episode? If so, please reach out to us at podcast.aceonline.org. And like we've mentioned at the end of every episode, Ace is available on all of the social medias. Just search Ride With Ace on all of the platforms. 
If you're not a member yet, please go to ridewithace.com and research. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Ride With Us is produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a registered 501c3 organization. Visit aceonline.org for additional information and we will see you at the parks.